I'm Andrew Junker with French Press, and this is Why We Do This. Welcome to season three of Why We Do This. If seasons are a thing that podcasts do, this podcast does just that. Uh, It's been a little while since um, releasing an episode. uh, And it's, you know, sort of not the first time. Last time uh, we took a break, it was really to kind of dig into a deeper format and try to figure more of a structured format and try to figure out kind of how to evolve this show and, and turn it into more of a a show, a podcast. At the same time, you know, there's, uh, as a company, we went through a lot of changes last year. As an individual, life gets in the way and you get sidetracked or you have to put certain things down. And so this was a project that uh, I had to put down for a, a really long time. But now I'm back and I'm very excited to share some conversations with you all. This is episode 23, and the first few episodes are going to be a a little bit of a backlog because last year I did uh, record a lot of conversations and talk to some really awesome people, but I didn't get a chance to release any of the episodes. So I want to start by, uh, you know, honoring and respecting the time that people uh, spent to talk with me and share these episodes with you, and then we'll start to get more current as as, uh, time goes along. This episode is really uh, important to me, and I think it's a great episode to start off a new chapter marker of of this podcast, uh, a new season, if you will. This episode features Matt Stoop. Matt is a gaffer in the Bay Area, and he's one of the founders and owners of Bolt Lighting Rentals. Around the middle of last year, there were several local and visiting productions that were robbed while filming. Even more tragic, a local location scout, Ed French, was robbed and killed in the Twin Peaks area. Uh, It was a very devastating and difficult time, and there was a lot of conversation and concern around the increasing risk of productions and crews being targeted in the Bay Area. In response to this, there was a lot of discussion on social media, and several people in the production community were very vocal and proactive about offering resources and insights into how to take better steps to make productions and ultimately crews safer. And Matt Stoop was one of those people. Uh, So I reached out to Matt and wanted to really um, get a chance to talk a little bit more about just this topic and and ways that we can, as a community and as productions, be more safe. And unfortunately, as time went on, uh, this episode really kind of fell out of that window of kind of being a really relevant topic at the time. Um, And so for a while, I was kind of unsure about when the right timing was to to put this conversation out and and to release it. And I was getting pretty down on myself thinking like, oh, well, this I've completely lost the 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 timing is wrong. And now I'm going to put this thing out and it's not it's it's not going to be as um, as useful or, you know, uh, received as well because of the timing and. It took me a long time to finally come to the the realization that, uh, you know, as time goes on, we kind of uh, lose, you know, we can we can fall back into our kind of old methods of doing things, and we can lose sight of things that are important, especially at times when it's it's very relevant to us. And so I kind of realized for myself that this episode was very important now because it's good to revisit this conversation. Um, not necessarily about what do we do about current instances of robbery or anything like that that's happening. It's it's more about how do we revisit the idea and understanding and necessity to make sure that our productions are safe. So Matt was here to talk about that. We'll get to that conversation in a little bit, but first uh, we talk about how he found his way into this profession in the first place. All the way back in middle school, um, small yet intensive group of friends of mine skateboarded. We uh, Parents had video cameras, a couple of them did, and sometimes we got to take them and 
you know, record us skateboarding and doing really bad tricks that nobody could ever land. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm originally from Ann Arbor, Michigan, so, you know, there's definitely all four seasons that are involved in that. Mm-hmm. And probably three of those seasons you can skateboard, but there's one season, winter, of course, where there's not much skating to be had. Yeah, we still had this video camera, and so I think we ended up sitting in someone's basement, bored, not being able to skateboard, had a video camera, and started making really kind of obscene, silly, inside-joke-filled skits. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's kind of, I would say, definitely one of the main origins of where all this kind of came from. Um, played Dungeons and Dragons growing up, you yeah. know, and my father was a hobby model mm-hmm. enthusiast, basically creating small worlds and, and almost having this like loose narrative built mm-hmm. into these dioramas and layouts for trains and had little villages and little towns and a sawmill over here and, you know, and all sorts of everything that you could think of that's fun to have in a model train setup, you know? Yeah. And I posted this picture of this, like, dimmer knob. I don't know if you saw it or whatever on Instagram, but, I mean, that was probably the first lighting technology that I was, (laughs) you know, started to begin to play with because there was a couple of lights that over the model that were on the dimmer, and so I, I remember distinctly, like, setting it really low on the dimmer, like, it's early morning, and, and <laughs> I would play with the trains, or my dad would move the trains around, and I was like, oh, now it's midday, and we would crank it all the way up, and, <laughs> and then I would go slowly down, and I remember distinctly just slowly dimming the lights until it was just, like, you know, like a dusk, kind of almost twilight type of a feel, you know, and that was probably... An, elementary school or something like that and then we started playing D&D in middle school and again we were building sets and everything and I think Mm. that really kind of set me up to get interested in stop motion animation and it was in senior year of high school that I took a video production class we learned how to do linear editing oh yeah (laughs) On VHS tape. Oh, man. That's great. <laughs> and so and I, I took really well to all of that because throughout middle school and high school, at this point, by the end of high school, we had already made a lot of skits that were all edited, you know, in camera, just like cutting and then recording, you mm-hmm. know, and shooting it linearly and all that. And then it was time to, like, go to college, but at the time I had a high school sweetheart and, like, I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life and I kind of followed her to wherever she was going to school at and then I took a film interpretation class and that was when I really realized all of the subtext and all the meaning Mm -hmm. and all the symbolism and everything and the visual context of everything and I was just like, wow, you can do so much visually with film and I was really you know, mesmerized and interested in learning more about that. And and then with the little bit of stuff that I did on my own, I was like, you know, I want to do something with that, you know. But it was funny. I I didn't do so well in, like, high school and middle school as far as academically. Like, it was hard for me even to get into college a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that film school was kind of this, like, elite kind of thing. It just it totally. seemed very unattainable for me. But when I took that film interpretation class, I was like, I'm going to figure out this. And I worked really hard to try to get decent grades and transferred to University of Colorado in Boulder, which is where I went to film school. Oh, cool. And in film school, I did a lot of stop-motion animation, which, you know, goes back to building sets on a micro level and lighting them that way and creating small worlds and stuff like that. That's awesome, yeah. Yeah, which was really something that I was into because of all the stuff that I had kind of done in the past. Um, Were you incorporating, like, train model type stuff? No, no, not at all. They were all, like, very tool, very dark, like, tool music video style, (laughs) very dark, weird, experimental narrative (laughs) stuff that had no dialogue and... I didn't write a lick of dialogue in college. <laughs> like, no sync sound, all soundscapey, experimental narrative stuff. Um, 
I didn't get to learn underneath Stan Brackage, who was a renowned experimental filmmaker and who was a professor there. He actually passed away a year before I got there. Oh, wow. But he, I mean, people called him like the Stanley Kubrick of experimental filmmaking. Yeah. And, uh, but I got to learn a lot. So that, that school in general, like a lot of the people that taught there when I was there, worked directly and were like close friends with Stan Brackage and everything. So there still his presence and his ideologies and his, you know, um, auteurism towards filmmaking, um, was still very prevalent in all that. And so that, so, you know, which was cool. I was kind of an artsy kid. I, I, you know, growing up, it was definitely more interested in skateboarding and making weird art, (laughs) listening to smashing pumpkins rather than playing football and, you know, and, or whatever, you know? So like, (laughs) <laughs> Getting experimental and weird was definitely up my alley, you know. Nice. Um, did you did you watch a lot of like did they show bracketed stuff? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. you got to see like all the weird like right yeah window water baby. <laughs> Do you know that project? I forget. I think there's it's, one more. The titles. I mean, the, the like yeah. famous ones. I definitely know. I remember seeing like. Mothlight. Uh, Mothlight. Yeah. Uh, the stuff that he did that was like both painting on film and more, like, gluing stuff, stuff. to film. Yeah, right. Uh, which at the time was, like, super fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a Criterion collection that of his work. Yeah, totally, which is, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we can go on and on probably about animation. <laughs> we don't have to right now. But, um. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's, that's interesting, too, because I feel like, um, I mean, everybody gets in kind of with their own understanding of, like, what film is mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to me just hearing like coming from a background that had a lot of like experimental film and stop motion and then going into lighting eventually is really interesting because i don't necessarily usually make that, that oh, connection so sure. much i don't know like right well i you know i guess everything from elementary school playing with that simple dimmer knob to um when we would build D layouts I had different colored light bulbs that I would stick into the lighting of the basement or whatever. And yeah. Even in high school, I was just basically always, especially with set design, I was always focusing on set design or lighting. Hmm. Like, the story didn't really, you know, luckily it didn't have to matter in experimental yeah. narratives. Totally. So all I had to worry about or and what I wanted to worry about was just creating mood and an emotion through lighting and set design and and stuff like that. Yeah. So cool. That was always very interesting, and I was drawn to that. And what what's funny though is I never took a lighting class in college. Like my schedule, like never worked out with it. <laughs> it was always like Monday nights for some reason, and I had a class that somehow conflicted with it. Like every semester, and I like never took the lighting <laughs> class in college. <laughs> But uh, whatever. <laughs> like, where do you consider that, like, you know, training to, right. to come from? Um, you know, I, it was really a wandering path to how I got to where I am, you know, now. Um, I moved to the Bay Area in the beginning of 2006. Okay. I tried to figure out how to find a job, but I had no network and didn't know anything. Mm. It was just out of college, and I, I didn't even know if I knew what a PA was, you, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> they didn't teach that in yeah. school. Like, I didn't, you know. What were you, I, what was your sort of idea? Like, what did, what were you hoping to have happen at that time? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't really know. I, I, I think I, sh- oh, man, this, now, <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, man, this is kind of embarrassing, but I, not not this first part. I, when I first moved to the city, I started working in a kitchen washing dishes. Like, okay. that was, like, the first job that I could find. And um, got sick of that pretty quickly, even though that's actually where I met my wife. So I'm very grateful for that job. <laughs> and um, I tried to get out of that and start figuring out how to use my degree to make a career or make a living or something. I applied to some animation job. You know, they wanted After Effects and maybe even some, like, Maya. I had my portfolio that was all this, like, really experimental, like, weird stuff. And I remember trying to, in, like, Photoshop or something, try to figure out how to, like... I took, like, the company's logo and... You remember, like... 
the 3D effect, like, on, like, Mac computers or whatever that told the time, and it, like, did this, like, 3D yeah. kind of swivel thing or something like that. Like, yeah. I made something that was even more crude than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you could imagine such a thing. Just as, like, something to say, like, I'm trying, I, I you know, like, I don't know. And I, like, submitted that, and I think I even did an interview or whatever, and they basically said, like, you seem like a really nice guy and a hard worker, but, like, I just don't think you have the qualifications for this job. I'm sorry. Like, you learn X, Y, and Z, like, please reach out to me or get back. You know what I mean? They were pretty cool about it, <laughs> yeah. but, like, it was just, like, you know, this, you know, we're, we're looking for something different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I got my first job on a low-budget cooking show okay. <laughs> that went out on location. They kind of built this table, and we did a bunch of lighting for it, and and it was usually like a winery or some sort of orchard or something was kind of the background for it, and I was a grip PA for 100 bucks a day. Wow. <laughs> this was back in, like, 2007. Right away, I was kind of thrown into the G&E department a little bit, like, mm -hmm. take all those sandbags and bring them over here and, like, you know, just kind of stuff like that, help them build the set and, mm -hmm. you know. And then I got another job at, like, 150 a day doing product shoots stuff <laughs> in an office, you know, in some corner of the room, like, set up a white psych and all these, like, you know, the metal reflector thing with the screw-in bulb, like, that was, that's how we, like, lit the psych nice. and stuff. <laughs> And then I remember a certain job making a realization. I was working on a low-budget, like, no-budget feature that some person was passionate about making, and they shot the movie on the weekends type of a thing. Totally, yeah. And I came out as an, for free as an art PA, and on that job I saw the lighting people, like, doing lighting and stuff like that. They had, like, a pole cat in the kitchen with a Kino on it. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, that, you know, that's really cool. I was like, that's what I want to do. Now, I must have still was working in the restaurant hmm. and did that on the weekend a couple times. And then I was like, I got to get out of the kitchen and start getting on set more, you know. It was so hard to leave that restaurant. It really was. It was like a mom-and-pop startup restaurant where, hmm. like, even when I was, like, kind of sick, I was, like, pressured to come in because there was, like, nobody else to do the millions of things that I had to do every day. Because I did a little more than just wash dishes. I drove a delivery truck and picked up supplies and, like, picked up fresh produce at the produce market and all that stuff. But I remember I had the cooking show and then I had, like, two or three days of that product stuff. And I was like, oh, man, like, I, I'm out of here. Like, yeah. I, I got two jobs. I'm leaving the, the restaurant business. And then after that, I was like, I don't have any jobs. I'm living in this very expensive city. And then when I was on kind of a bigger show as a grip, I saw that there's electrics that are set lighting technicians that, you know, set up lights because I was very interested in lighting, you know. And then I was like, oh, there's like a head of the electric department. Like, that's what I want to do. And then I just, you know, got to where I am now, essentially, just through that kind of random path. Nice. And, uh, but yeah, just always a visual person, whether it was artistically taking a lot of art classes and, you know, focusing on lighting in college and, and, you know, so it just really made a lot of sense that I am where I am now. Yeah. What for you is like, uh, I guess just starting with like for you, what is the role of the gaffer? Oh, sure. Yeah. What's really great about being a gaffer and that I find so interesting about it is that it's this beautiful balance between um, being artistic and being technically understanding or like the technical end of lighting as far as logistics and, and the set and how you build things and you need exposure and you know you need you know and, and, and all that. That's kind of poorly said but Maybe I can say it better in a minute. <laughs> but, you know, just like, yeah, just kind of the idea of being creative as far as creating a mood and establishing a scene through lighting and um, and then just the technical end of how to create that, you know, technically in, in a real world, you know. When are you, like, 
what's that moment? Like, when are you happiest on set? It's <sighs> a good question. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I, f I feel like there's some key roles that always have to be there. I feel like there's a lot of times where we're on shoots and there's no AD or the AD is just inexperienced to not know how to run the show properly. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely think that that's probably one of the hardest jobs on set is being a first AD because there's always props or a set piece that has to move or do something or be managed. Um, so, you know, it's just like properly crewing the show for the right project, you know, or having enough crew in the grip and electric department to do things on a timely manner and safely, you know, it's not just me trying to build a 12 by or, you know, <laughs> or something like that. It's just like, I had a, a, a good friend of mine work with me in the film industry as a grip and we were on this low budget feature and he needed an, an additional guy for the run of show. Mm -hmm. And he kind of knew that from the very beginning and production was kind of pushing back on that. Mm -hmm. And he started to save money in all these kind of silly ways, <laughs> like all the way down to us going tech scouting yeah. and, every, and the producers were like, okay, we're going to go to Starbucks. Who wants Starbucks? You know, and, like specialty custom drinks and everything like that yeah. and he was like I'm not going to order a drink and I'm going to put down $5.50 towards my budget of my <laughs> additional guy and we're just going to keep going and I'm going to save as much money as I can for you to give me what I need. <laughs> that was pretty clever. <laughs> you know, I think if the shows are crude properly that everything runs a lot smoother you know like i'm gonna do a project and there's no sound guy but we're doing sound and i know for a fact that that's gonna slow us down <laughs> <laughs> it's like why well the talent's not mic'd up yet oh well who's gonna do that oh i don't know and it's just like you know it's it, it's frustrating when that happens yeah and it's also the work that's done in pre-production a lot of times i'm a lot happier when I get to tech scout, I get to see the location and figure out, you know, sometimes I'll order a bunch of gear that we don't need because I got to cover my butt yeah. to make sure that we can do what they want. But I don't know if I have the materials to do what they want me to do. Mm -hmm. And so just the idea of, of having more planning up front, you know, I was on a feature length movie that the DP didn't have a shot list. And so, you know, not to say that you need to have it all storyboarded and animatic out or whatever, you know, but you need to have something to be able to communicate with people about the vision, you know, because it's so, you know, at the same time, it's very visual, but at the same time, it's very, like, hard to explain or yeah. obtain or, like, or it's, to understand. It's so, because it could be... It really could be anything. Right. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Like, if you have no way of communicating your ideas efficiently, yeah. then it's not going to go well. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes. very true. Yeah. So, you know, and that's just about planning and planning ahead and knowing what you're up against and doing all the work up front so that on the day it's pretty easy, yeah. which is great. Yeah. And we can go home and have beers. <laughs> When you're talking to a to a DP cinematographer, um, what are the kinds of things that you that you want to hear to be able to best you know do your job and best communicate kind sure. of you know to your team? You know, it's always frustrating when a director of photography tells me exactly what he thinks the lighting setup should be. Totally, <laughs> um, because often it's just kind of wrong. And then I kind of get painted in a corner, and then it's not working, and then everybody kind of gets frustrated, you know? Mm -hmm. So a way that I like to kind of look at lighting and think about lighting and communicate about lighting are kind of like four main kind of categories that we mm -hmm. can, I think, convey a lot of information through, you know? 
Uh, first thing is the angle of light. Like, where do you want that light to come from? Where's the direction of that light? Uh, two is intensity. Like, is it a couple of stops under your exposure level, or is it a couple stops over, or is it at exposure? That's the intensity. Uh, quality of light, is it a hard light, is it a softer light? Maybe it's indirect, like bouncing a light which has, has dramatic fall off. Maybe he wants the, he or she, plenty of awesome female DPs out there. You know, do we need the light to carry throughout the set from like, you know, here and then another 50 feet over there? Like that's a total different lighting setup than, you know, if you wanted the light to fall off dramatically as far as the intensity. And then color, of course, like, mm -hmm. you know, talk about color all day, basically. <laughs> um, you know, a big part of the gaff, you know, chief lighting technician to be proper about it or gaffer for slang is to keep things consistent, you know, or keep like keeping the look consistent within the scene or within the whole project or mm -hmm. as definitely a big responsibility of the gaffer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a long time ago, I was talking to uh, Jesse Dana of just that whole concept of making decisions that don't box you into a corner, you know, it's like and, and how mm -hmm. like challenging that can be because it's like you want everything to be gorgeous. But if you do that the first shot and you take all this time, then you realize you can't consistently keep that going for the pace you're moving you know throughout your day or shoot right right it's like it's like the the creative choices you have to make to be able to have that staying power right right and i think a big part of you know working well with the dp is is, is a good relationship there and that the dp trusts you because when the dp says oh it needs to be a 650 through 250 um in that over there or whatever uh, it it, it kind of says that he or she doesn't trust me to, you know, make the right decision to give the DP what they want as far as the look or whatever. You know, I work under the, the DP, so I think in a way to have the DP, you know, let me have some ownership. And like they can say, I want it to feel like this. Or, you know, they can tell me kind of what angle they want it to come from or we decide that together. And, and then I have a little bit of ownership of figuring out which fixture goes over there. Sometimes, like, you know, there's big logistical reasons why we can or can't do something. You know, I don't have enough manpower. We can't put the M18 on top of the building over there because <laughs> it's going to take forever to do, you know what I mean? Like, we yeah. just... We just like can't do that and we have to come up with another solution to like make it work and you know so I think you know it's really refreshing and helpful to you know let the gaffer run with it as as it were and you know because when you're telling me exactly what you want and I have to do that and if I don't do that everybody's mad and I build up resentment and you know and it's just no good it's not a good work environment so I think that's a big part of working together to accomplish something <laughs> totally no it seems i mean communication yeah. in what we do is so important yeah. especially since there's usually not a whole lot of time to right have th have those conversations yeah and it's even keep on passing that ball down the line as a gaffer and my technicians and everything you know sometimes they're like well should i should i do it this way or should i look you know and they're getting all micromanaging on it i'm like i i don't really know like <laughs> Put the light over there and figure it out. And if the light can't, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of like make it work <laughs> and, and use your creativity and your technical skills to figure it out and make it work. Like <laughs> I don't need to hold your hand and do it, you know. And then they do it and they learn something and they feel more confident as a technician. And, you know, it just it, it makes everything way better. Yeah. Absolutely. How, for you, like, how long, how quickly, like, did it take you to really kind of feel like you had that starting to really, like, build that that team or that, you know, sort hmm, of like... Right. It's so funny because I'll even, you know, I've been working in the film industry, you know, since about 07, which is like... It's 10 years? 10 years. Oh, my God. I was going to say seven years, but that that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, that's hilarious. Uh, ten years, yeah, it's a long time. And even when I think back a year ago compared to now, like I feel like I didn't know anything back then. <laughs> you know, it's just like, wow, I can't believe we did that project, and this is how we did it. Like, there's so much, such a better way of doing whatever silly thing that we did back then. Or I don't know. I've always kind of had my go-to crew, and that's always developed. And people have kind of come in and out of that circle naturally. Um, 
but it wasn't really until like very recently to talk about bolt lighting rental you know my little rental business mostly because of social media and stuff like that did i really feel like we're building something bigger than just the little circle of friends that i called upon you know which is pretty neat um, through doing the free workshops at the shop and really just trying to build a community and to have technicians to call upon that are qualified to do the work that needs to be done on any given set with starting this rental company and kind of being the i don't know like i don't want to say leader sounds weird <laughs> <laughs> but you know I definitely feel, and and public figure sounds weird too, but like, you know, I'm definitely this, especially lately with, uh, you know, kind of this on-set security issue that has kind of come about, you know, and I just kind of posted a post because I just felt compelled to reach out to the community in some way and try to give out some information to try to make things safer and have people feel more at ease and comfortable on set or at least to like you know that first post about the non-emergency numbers was just like you know something to say you don't have to rely on other people Hmm. to make you feel safe like you as a PA as a camera utility second AC art department set deco like you can call the police and say this is where we're gonna be please stop by check up on us you know whatever um or you know at least this is what we're doing here we are you know type of a thing and hopefully have some sort of you know sense of safety and and at least doing something or being active on trying to create more safety on set or security you know we all think like oh well why didn't we do this earlier but it's also like that's a big step to actually like at least just reach out and try to open up that that line of communication in a in a different way right was that something did that feel overwhelming at the time did that feel like it was just the right thing to do like i mean did you know about that Um, that number before not necessarily but i did kind of have an understanding of the importance of telling the police about shoots in certain aspects. Mm. Um, I was way back in the day, probably 09 or something like that, I was on a short film and I hardly knew anything about lighting, but I was kind of the only lighting guy there. And um, it was kind of a, like a modern kind of wild and crazy Bonnie and Clyde type of thing, but with more sex. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, (laughs) um, Type of a little short film. Part of it, of course, was this couple doing a rampage, and the location was um, owned by the director or whatever. As short films go, you use every single resource for free that you can. We were shooting in there, a simple standard scene, people running inside with a gun, so we were in the middle of this scene, and a passerby thought that there was an actual robbery in progress and called the police. Oh, my God, so-and-so place or whatever is, is being held up at gunpoint right now. We are in the middle of shooting a scene, and we hear police officers with a loudspeaker saying, Come out with your hands up. Like, <laughs> Whoa. And we're like, What? <laughs> And then we look outside, and there's five or six cop cars with cops behind the wow. cars with shotguns pointed at us. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, that was pretty terrifying. <laughs> and so we all kind of came out, like, and the camera guy is holding the camera up in the air, and recording this, actually, believe oh, it or man. not. <laughs> and they're all like, put the camera on the ground. And they're put, they, we all got on the ground and laid on the ground with our hands out and stuff like that. And Holy cow. Yeah, so that, you know... Whether it's security for being robbed on set, you know, or if, like, you're mimicking that or, you know what I mean, (laughs) or something, or even if you just have your actor running around with a gun on set, like, call the police and say, we're shooting a movie, we've got a fake gun, it's not real, we're doing a scene, we're running around in the streets, or we're holding up this convenience store, and it's all just for the movie, you know, and so when someone calls and says, oh my god, they're robbing the store right now, they go, no, that's actually a film crew, they're shooting a scene, a robbery scene, 
you know, thanks for calling or whatever. Mm -hmm. Instead of like wasting precious police time dealing with these stupid student film projects. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was kind of a realization about, you know, we're so caught up in creating this world and being in our own world and like focusing on the project and how sometimes we don't really realize our surroundings and how it affects the community <laughs> and the reality of that's around us. Absolutely. You know? Right. That's, so. No, it's such a, I mean, it's, it's the thing that I've been thinking about more recently too. That's just like, it's, it already takes so much time and resources and money to make a film, you know, and on a passion project, like, right. That's a hard thing, too, to be like, I want to do this, you know, scene between, emotional scene between two people on a sidewalk, and now I have to also add a, la a another layer of, like, considerations for what that means, you know. Right. It's not right. just that it I need people and resources, and, right. you know, right. now it's that I also want to make sure that we're safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went on a tech scout. They wanted to bring an Alexa camera package in Alameda at night in some abandoned warehouse district to look at the city skyline and the camera and see how it bokeh with the lenses and, and all this other technical stuff. And I called the Alameda Police Department non-emergency number and told them where we were going to be and kind of told them a little bit about what was going on in the community. And I was just kind of like trying to figure out personally how to go through the steps <laughs> of, you know, successfully calling the police and letting them know where we were or whatever they told me that yes we have active duty in that area um you know it's kind of busy because it was friday night but if we can we'll try to get additional patrol out there and you know and roll through and as i was in the parking lot waiting to get into the location which luckily had a gate that was locked mm -hmm. and we locked it behind us um i saw a police car roll through and I, I, I scrambled to get my phone out and, like, take a picture because I wanted to be like, I called the cops, they showed up, they stopped, you know, or, like, you know, or even at least go up to them and be like, hey, did you get our bulletin? Like, we were requesting extra patrol. Like, you know, it would have been so valuable to get that photo and to get that information. Like, yeah, we heard that you guys wanted us to roll through or everything's safe, everything cool. Yes, officer, thank you so much. Like, we're going to be here for an hour or two and then we're going to go home or, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. Just communicate and, and touch base and, you know, and I was just so, I was like, oh, man, like, I didn't get, <laughs> I didn't get that social media photo, could, you know, to as a part of that post to be like, this is what I did. This is what happened. This can, you know, they've came or maybe, maybe it was just coincidence yeah. that they rolled through or whatever, but just, you know, I, I'll never know, which yeah. is kind of frustrating, but uh, it felt good. It's a really interesting point that you're bringing up too, that it's, as much as it's important to advocate it, it's also to celebrate it when it's happening. It's like a right. really, like yeah. that, that, that's pretty, pretty solid. Right. You know? Film SF the association hmm. sent out an email about set security and stuff. Oh, interesting. And it was pretty disturbing. They basically said that there wasn't a problem and that it was just... Whoa. Um, it was just um, opportunistic tendencies. It was weird. They were basically oh, saying, you know, nothing's really going on. There's no reason to feel unsafe here's some things to do to feel safe <laughs> it's like Jeez. i shared the email huh and then my business partner ryan thomas was like this is bs yeah um you know they're basically saying that there's nothing wrong going on in the film community which is like totally not true yeah <laughs> and what's really disturbing was that film sf said that they met with the police department of san francisco along with location managers uh, and talked about the problem who was if, at that meeting like that doesn't... yeah i know <laughs> i mean there was a location manager that got shot and killed know, over that's... a still camera and then they're saying that there's not a problem in the film community about on-set armed robbery yeah. it's like one of your own has died and then for some reason some random startup lighting rental company is like the forefront of security 
issues. You yeah. know, it's like yeah. it should be locations, it should be production, it should be camera. But yeah. I don't know. It's just like frustrating. I mean, it is frustrating. It's it's that's the thing that's like it's it's frustrating. I think for me, there's also this like still this sense of like, you know, it, it's hard to to really know what the answers are, you know? But I, I also think that, yeah, I mean, denying it is nonsense. And also to say that you just don't shoot here anymore, you know, don't have productions here anymore is also nonsense, you know? Right. It's like, this, like they, these, are not, these are not solutions to right. what is happening right now. Yes, <laughs> not at all. Got some other, I was kind of thinking about this. Um, worked on a pretty low budget feature in San Jose. The majority of production was off shooting a day exterior, just doing a bunch of grip stuff. And it turned out that it was a smart decision for the lighting crew and a few grips and art department, stuff like that, to kind of pre-rig a house mm. that was in San Jose. So, you know, I don't really know San Jose that well either, but some people were saying like, oh man, this is we're kind of in a cutty kind of area, you know, yeah. like just to let you know, or, you know, or, or they were just kind of talking about it. And I was like, oh, this is kind of an issue, you know? And this is, this was a couple of years ago. I think throughout the time that I've been working in the film industry, there have been some robberies here and there, but, you know, it, it definitely had seemed like it flared up recently, but, yeah. so it wasn't super concerning, but at the same time, I, I felt that you know, because I'm like the key. I'm kind of responsible for all the people that are working below me. And I told production, I was like, we need a security guard or something to watch our back while we're pre-rigging. Because, you know, there wasn't that many of us. We're working, you know, we're in the truck and then come out and there could be a gun in our face or whatever. Uh, it's just somebody to kind of watch over us and stuff like that. We got to the location, and there was no security guard there. And and so I called the UPM, and I was like, well, we're not going to do any work. We're not going to open our truck. We're going to be inside the house with the doors shut, you know, and not work until you get a security guard out there. You know, it was just kind of like laying down the hammer on that because they were, well, we, we talked about it initially, and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, well, we'll do that, we'll do that. And then... It, it didn't happen, and I was like, we're not going to work until you bring the security that you told us that was going to be there. We think it's important. Yeah. And so they're scrambling, and then... Um, but they did bring security, and it was really good because the particular security company that they got, um, the dude showed up in this car that had a light on it and it said security on it and it was kind of like you know it was it was a very visual totally you know symbol to say that we've got you know an authority or security or something uh, you know on us and he kind of hung out by the grip truck and hung out in the front of the house and and as soon as he showed up like great boom getting to work you know like thank you yeah (laughs) yeah and i and you know no, nothing happened, but, you know, and I don't know if it was because that guy was there or just maybe just nothing would have happened, but, you know, it's it's a risk that nobody should feel that they should take, you know, like, it's just not worth it. Like, nobody should feel unsafe while working on any job, yeah. and, you know, nobody should get injured or you know, die because of some silly project, some story that somebody wants to tell, you know? Totally. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also, like, a, a big a big part of it is just because it's, like, you know, depending on the job, we're working long, tight hours. And in that situation when you're moving so fast and decisions that you make when you're under the gun are different than the decisions you make when you sure. have a comfortable amount of time. Right. And those are all hard. It's a, to balance all of that. I feel like is also a hard part of the conversation. That's like making sure that you know while we're doing something that's artistic and maybe crazy, that it's still right. safe. You know, right. and and yeah, like exactly what you're saying too. That it's just like to make sure that people aren't injured and to make sure that peace of mind is there, and you don't have to. You can actually do work and not feel like you have to right. watch your back or be uncomfortable of the, of the setting, you know? Right, definitely. And, you know, I, 
I haven't been personally involved in any of the recent onset armed robberies, um, but I have been involved in a attempted armed robbery in college. There was some, you know, a, a, a small amount or a noticeable amount of post-traumatic stress related to that. I remember lying in my dorm in college trying to sleep and hearing commotion outside and having anxiety and, and trying to come up with exit strategies and like, what if these people like barge into my room and try to rough me up or like, you know, I don't, it was just like, it was like irrational, you know, thoughts yeah. and all just kind of stemming from my experience of, you know, having a gun waved in my face, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, with the people in our film community that have been involved in all these onset robberies, the post-traumatic stress to that, and now they're out on set and they're having irrational thoughts and being stressed out about a reoccurrence, you know? Yeah. I kind of don't want to talk about it, but at the same time, like, mention it because it seems weird or maybe I'm making these weird connections, but, like, you know, they've... And I don't think maybe all all these robberies are all the same people or whatever, but, like, they've stolen a couple of cameras. They've stolen sound equipment. You know, like, only thing they need now is some lighting equipment, <laughs> a couple of sky panels, a couple of M18s, like, uh, you know, and that's, that's me. That's, you know, like, uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe that's a silly thought, but... Um, I mean, it changes how you go to work it changes what you're thinking about you know like right to be in a situation where it's armed robbery that's a huge mental stress yeah and it's also like from a you know if you know if you're responsible for the camera or the equipment that's stolen then that's also like you know the your how you feel responsible for that happening right and i mean then some of these camera operators and DPs like own the equipment that is being targeted and they get stolen that's like their their livelihood they're yeah. like taking their job away almost practically beginning of this year we had a shoot where it was just like a really packed schedule we were in downtown Oakland shooting outside and it was a crew of us like it was a sizable you know we had a camera cart and mm -hmm. no sound gear but it was still like we were a group of people um, and I, which is good, but at the same time, you you're a large footprint and you're noticeable. Yeah, and you're no, sitting ducks. It, uh, it was we had a moment where we were downtown and, uh, you know, like one guy started just like heckling us and he was being a goofball and then he walked away, and we had to move like down the block to get another shot. And as we were moving around, I saw him come back with somebody else. And one of them was on their phone. And it was just like a moment where I, f I felt it. It was like, this is now not safe. And even though there's, right. there's a lot of us, it's also more people that are vulnerable and, and can be affected by this. Right. And, and it's also one of those things that it's like, you know, I mean, the, the thing that people want is the equipment. So in that way, too, it's like to have that feeling of it's really not me. It's the people who are around the camera gear who are who are the target and those are people that I'm responsible for and also right. I'm working for a client that it's like this whole like the thing that we did at the time was we got our uh, the client's office was nearby and so we got them to call uh, more people and so like when we did our final company move from there to get us into we went to an apartment um, we at least had an even larger footprint. Um, right, or just people kind of looking out and Yeah, being just like we, we were able to and, like band together right. and make it something the, that was... The zebra. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, I mean, that was the moment for me that was like, this isn't fun anymore and it's not worth it. And yeah. the thing that I'm curious about is like, what are you think the best steps to kind of like... I don't know, like, I mean, I definitely think, like, educating from a producer side, educating clients on why you need this is important. And it, it feels right. like it should be a no-brainer, but it also is just like a... Right, right. You know? Yeah. What were you, you going to say? Oh, um, yeah, I mean, like, even from the get-go, while you're bidding for the project to have a line item for security of on some level, mm -hmm. you know, would 
yeah, I, you know, would be a great start. You know, everybody's, you know, startups and always trying to undercut and do things cheaper, you know, but they're sacrificing, you know, safety of crew members, which, you know, is not the right place to save money. And every once in a while, it's pretty refreshing, even not like about a threat of being robbed or anything like that just like a more general safety awareness like every 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 so often I'm on a set where the AD will say okay we're in earthquake country in case of an emergency we're gonna meet outside here and this is where we're gonna be and we're gonna do a head count and like you know I mean that's totally a reasonable thing and it's like oh wow like you guys are thinking about us and you know even something on on that level and especially on like bigger shows and kind of everybody's responsibility especially since we all kind of work together to know who's on the crew and who's not you know and if you see somebody who's not on the crew or not part of the show you know just maybe having a, a more awareness about who's around and or you know and having these kind of safety meetings you know a, a lot more um, it's just kind of funny because <laughs> the whole kind of safety meeting idea for G&E, I, I feel like the, they generally like scoff at the idea or like maybe we're already unloading carts and we're like getting into work mode and then we have to stop doing what we're doing to have a safety meeting and it's frustrating. But, you know, at the same time, it's pretty valuable <laughs> you know, of a thing to have and to stress the importance of, you know, yeah. doing something as simple as that, you know, bringing everybody together, seeing who's all on the crew and talking about what to do in an emergency situation. Mm-hmm. And th- luckily there's kind of different tiers of doing security, you know, you could do police officers with that are armed or you could do security guards that are armed or unarmed security guards. And then, you know, recently on a, on a film that was shooting in Oakland, actually, having, having, you know, working with the locals to provide security between the crew and the, and the other locals that would potentially cause harm, um, which is another kind of tactic to try to... Uh, create security on set. Actually, I was on a short film recently shooting in the, you know, on International Boulevard in East Oakland somewhere. We had people in the community that have um, some weight within the community to kind of be an ambassador, I guess, as it were, Mm -hmm. um, between the crew and the community to make sure that there's, you know, no incidences. I was talking to some uh, friends of mine in the in the production realm of the industry, and they told me some information about how there was some larger projects that were supposed to shoot in Oakland, like, you know, if not million-dollar projects somewhere just below that, mm-hmm. a couple of them, and they canceled shooting in Oakland. Yeah. Did you hear about it? I don't know. I, but I, heard, I heard some... Um you know, not the, not the same thing, but I have heard conversation around like, well, you know, if this is going to happen, then we won't shoot here. And for me, I'm like, that's not the solution yeah. to the problem. You know, it's a livelihood, it's a profession, it's a passion. And to, to say that the answer is just don't do it is, I think, right. totally backwards. Right. Um, Certainly. But, but it is, you know, and, I, and I, my concern is also that the reasoning for that making a statement like that is really because people don't want to pay the extra money to make it safe. I had a friend who shared the post that you put out um, and the way that they said it was thinking in the corp- you know, commercial corporate world, like if your client doesn't have the money to pay for added security, then the client doesn't have the money to pay for your project. Like it right. just is, you know, it's it. if you didn't have money for the camera, <laughs> you don't just go out there and do it. So it's like, right. I feel like it's rephrasing framing the conversation to just add that into the like listen this is you know you have the technical side you have the creative side now you need the emotional side to make sure that people feel right comfortable right. I, I don't know you know it's 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 i think the thing that is nice for
for me to see is that the conversation's happening. And I think the thing that I'm curious about is like, how do I help and how do we all kind of help to advance the conversation? Right. You know, definitely. Um, you know, I, I think another kind of safety thing that is cheaper to do is having walkie talkies. Like hmm. if you're out by the trucks and you see somebody stealing something, you can jam onto one real quick and be like, help, help, you know, or something rather than just not being able to communicate with yeah. anybody about anything, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I, I feel I really feel that walkie-talkies are a security measure that can make things safer. Hmm. Yeah. You know, so just like little things like that, calling the police department or hiring a non, you know, hiring a non-armed security guard at least that has a car or, you know, has a jacket that says security on it or, you know, having that visual symbol that somebody is looking out for everybody, you know, like, I mean, a security guard costs like 22 an hour or something like that. I mean, you know, that's cheaper than a grip. <laughs> <laughs> what What's the next thing that you think is important to continue the dialogue? What do you, what, what do you, what do you hope that people know that can at least help them a little bit more that we haven't talked about yeah i mean you know and sometimes we get super busy and we don't really have time to to talk about the next project and we don't even know where we're shooting until the night before you know type of a thing and so just pushing for more communication you know from production about where you're gonna be when and for how long pushing for that information and and everybody on set can do that and I think that's important Um, and then realizing where you're going to be and being aware and and sticking up and saying something you know yeah uh, to production about your concerns of safety and and yeah exactly somehow we have to educate everybody about what situations require certain needs and things to do, like not prepping the camera outside, you know, bringing it inside right away yeah. and not having camera gear in cars that you can see into and mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and just kind of like smaller little things that they can do within their department to try to keep things being less of a target, you know. But I definitely think somehow there needs to be a way to communicate with everybody in the film industry about pushing these needs on set for certain locations Um, and that's what's kind of cool about bolt lighting rental is that it's kind of a platform for at least us to be able to to say something to the community and give out information to try to educate people and feel safer on set it's been a cool tool and for a while i just kind of really started getting into using Facebook in the last two years or so (laughs) and I was kind of against it but then realizing how powerful of a tool it it can be really you know in communicating to a group in a community that's been really positive and really inspiring and and it makes it feel like we can communicate and people listen you know and that there can be change there yeah which is really cool that's no absolutely you know, we talked about a lot of great stuff. Is there anything in, in terms of just, like, your work as a gaffer, as <clears throat> in lighting? Um, you can talk, I don't know if you feel like talking a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I guess the segue between that, between what I do on set and this security issue and how, uh, you know, I've it's been this weird passion of mine, you know, is it seems like maybe art department kind of is in the same vein as grip and electric but it seems like it's so easy for it to so quickly get unsafe mm-hmm. for grips and electrics whether it's flying a 12 by in a windy area or dealing with high voltage as an electrician and stuff like that and how you know safety is kind of always on the forefront of our thoughts and everything like that and so I think that was just kind of a natural segue for me to realize that there's a safety and a security issue and that I stood up and said something and trying to change and make that more safe you know so you know another 
thing that's interesting to think about is the whole idea of saying no to certain circumstances that you don't feel comfortable with Mm -hmm. and and you know sticking up for yourself and the community uh, as far as realizing when something is unsafe and you know yeah you might have lost that job but I, I don't know at the same time um, you know knowing that you stuck up for your ideals and what you think is safe and safe for the community you know I, I think in the long run will make a stronger healthier community I I kind of gave an ultimatum on on a job recently about a certain situation you know and I for a second I lost the job and I was like dang it like I really wanted that job yeah. but I I said you know if you don't do this or whatever then you know I don't think it's a good fit I'm not available or you know or, or whatever it was and then instead of bending and putting myself at risk or taking a lower rate or you know, not having the tools to do the job correctly or whatever it was that needed to happen and that they weren't giving me. And then they call me back and say, oh, okay, we'll, we'll do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like if you stick up and keep your ground on that, you know, it, it's, it's good. They'll either turn around and it'll happen or it won't happen and it's probably for the better. <laughs> yeah. Why do you do this? That's a very good question. I don't know. I I don't know. I stumbled into it. I no, I, I do. I, it goes back to, you know, been thinking a lot about what what it means to be a gaffer or what what I enjoy about it, you know, and it almost seems like I could probably do anything whether it's like building cardboard boxes or lighting a set. As long as I have, like, my tight-knit crew of people executing projects and making it happen and doing it successfully, doing it safely, you know, and doing it quickly so we can go home and have beers, like, you know, it could be anything, honestly. I think that's really the big thing that I really enjoy, you know. And it just so happens that we're making movies, (laughs) which is cool. Thank you to Matt Stoop for being on this episode and being on the first episode of the new season. Uh, if you hadn't been thinking about security for your productions recently, now is a really good time to uh, give it a refresher. Please, if you are a client hiring a production company, if you are a production company yourself hiring freelancers, uh, if you are a production department, production team, or if you're just uh, someone who is very excited to... Uh, get experience on a film set, please keep safety and security of your crews in mind. Uh, Obviously, not all productions need the same level of security. It's really a case-by-case basis. But taking a moment to assess and consider if your production is going to need security and what level of security it might need to make sure that everybody feels safe and can do the work they need to do, uh, it's absolutely invaluable. You know, equipment is replaceable. People are not. So um, please, uh, please be safe. Also, check out Bolt Lighting in the Bay Area, um, particularly because they have a lot of workshops and really do a lot of cool things uh, to kind of share tips and tricks and techniques to um, the, the greater uh, community of film. And now, the epilogue. This show focuses on why. Why we chose the profession of filmmaking. Why we stick with it. It's not what we originally dreamed it was, oftentimes, but I do believe that if we set intentions for ourselves and we stay true to that why, with time, we find either our way back to it or we create something new that resonates with us even more. In many ways, I think that sticking with it is why I picked this series back up. But for this season, I want to focus specifically on the aspect of how. How do we do the work that we want to be doing? And more specifically, how do we get unstuck when we're either creatively blocked or how do we set up good practices and habits to make 
it easier for ourselves to do our best work. And so I think that this episode is a good starting point to that, uh, this, this idea of security and safety. When people feel safe, they do their best work. I know saying that seems like a no-brainer, but I do think it's also good to revisit the, the basics every once in a while to, to refresh our foundation and, you know, kind of check in on that stuff. Now, not every episode of the season is going to have a, a clear lesson like that, uh, and, and it's not necessarily what I'm trying to do, but I am actively looking for those kind of uh, seeds because it's something that I'm genuinely trying to find myself. So uh, for each episode, I'll do the best I can to kind of tie it together and, and see if maybe we can discover a clear story arc in this season. So with that, here's something funny. This is Booking Some Time by Andrew Junker. Booking Some Time. It's a surprise hit. We don't know where. <laughs> no, it's literally nobody knows why it's so popular. Nobody knows. <laughs> we, we think they... Nobody knows. We <laughs> talked to him, his agent, the music company. Just, no one has a fucking clue. Well, how does that go again? Booking Some Time. Industry people are scared. Literally, we're scared because we just realized we have no control. <laughs> we have no idea what's happening. This is just adding to the tire fire. Some people have confusion. gone back to being dirt farmers because they just, they give up. Because they started as dirt farmers. They have no idea. They just, you have the old story of I started as started a dirt Started as a dirt farmer, farmer became a music industry <laughs> executive. I know a guy that's excited about his turnip crop right now because he just gave the fuck up when booking some time. Booking some time. Anyway, it, I'm done. You can download it. <laughs> it costs a lot of money. Yeah, apparently everybody's downloading <laughs> it right now.